You're on Community Radio, 2XX 98.3 FM. And, uh, yes, we're joined on the phone by Paul Jukes. How are you, Paul? Uh, very good, thanks, Scotty. Excellent. Great to hear your voice. Now, you are, you are at a little yep. place called Bowen, I believe. Yeah, that's right. We're just a little bit south of Bowen. Um, we've uh, rented a paddock off a local, um, a local here um, to create a camp. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a very exciting week. We're nearing the end of it now. Um, but, yeah, just south of Bowen, which is um, in central Queensland, uh, north of Mackay, south of Townsville, about halfway up the coast of Cairns, and obviously that's right in the heart of the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, so what's going on there? Why have you rented this paddock? Okay, so we're up here because um, uh, basically um, I'm, I'm a local um, a resident. I live in Brandy Creek, which is halfway between Proserpine and Airy Beach in the Whitsundays. Um, and we've, uh, we became alerted to the fact that uh, Adani wanted to expand the port, um, the coal port at Abbott Point, which is just north of Bowen. Um, and in doing so, they wanted to dredge the World Heritage Area of the Great Barrier Reef and dump it on a, um, on a, uh, a wetland of, of uh, national and international significance. And, and we came a bit concerned about that, obviously, because um, you know, out my, the town that I live in, the one that is uh, closest to me, 15 minutes away, um, is really a tourist town. So, um, and along with many other towns up the coast, um, that gets um, you know, most of its uh, business through, um, through uh, reef tourism. Um, and I myself was involved in uh, land-based tourism, which is sort of a hang-on to the, you know, the people who come up here to, um, to experience the reef. I was doing some rainforest tours and things like that. Um, and also growing sprouts and microgreens and vegetables for the for the local restaurants. Um, so um, you know, most of us um, you know are employed and and supported by um, what is a fairly massive um, tourism industry, um, and that relies on a on a healthy reef. Um, so yeah, we formed a. You're happy for me to go through all the history? Oh, look, let's just let's just explore the area a little bit first. I mean, um, okay, yeah, yeah. What, what's what's going on? Uh, what, what what's your climate? Okay, so um, basically, um, we're in a tropical area, so we're north of the Tropic of Capricorn, uh, north of Rockhampton, where the, where the Tropic of Capricorn goes through. Um, um, this area of Bowen's a dry tropics, um, so it's currently um, the dry season. Um, uh, but you know the waters are just uh, you know spectacular, you know crystal clear in in most places once you get away from the sediment on the coast and um, and uh, you know coral reefs around fringing reefs around uh, the seventy four magnificent islands that are here. Um, you know we've just come to the end of the whale season, so we've had whales um, coming up here and um, and giving birth and then nursing their babies um, in waters just literally 15 minutes from where I am, or even less, five minutes from where I'm sitting at the moment at this camp, which is a bit inland, um, is the coast. And you would have been able to go out there in the last month and see the whales out there in the bay, um, you know, looking after their babies. Um, they've all started heading south again, so they can, um, you know, feed down there and fatten up to come back up here again next year. Um, and that's the migratory route that they, basically they pass. Um, you know, all the east coast of um, Australia, but end up here um, to to give birth. So, 
Um, and we still have the minke whales are still here. They're the smaller ones that, um, that are still going through that process. Um, you know, we've got, um, you know, all of the turtle species of, of Australia here, which is um, all but one in the world. Um, and I think all of them are, are endangered or um, maybe one or two aren't. But, but, um, but certainly, you know, the marine, marine life is just incredible. Um, and of course, the Great Barrier Reef and all of the unique, uh, you know, reef species and everything that um, are involved in that. So, where are you um, in relation to the rest of the reef? Uh, basically, where um, there's some reefs um, south of us, um, but we're pretty much in the heart of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, uh, there's the reef here forms in in a few different ways. One is the coastal reefs, which are which are all but gone um, through you know man's activities. Um, then there's the, the fringing reefs around the islands, which are, which are within sight. I, you know, just down at the beach here, five minutes away, I can look out over the, over the, um, you know, the beautiful blue and green waters to see, um, Gloucester Island and Stony, Stony Island and, um, and they have fringing reefs around them, um, that are obviously really, um, you know, magnificent fishing grounds for the, for the locals to go out there and catch coral trout and red emperor and, and some of those prized species that, um, that we all love so much, but um, but also for um, you know snorkeling and diving, um, and then um, you know further out there's um, there's the the um, outer reef, um, which is uh, doesn't have so many islands. They're more just um, you know reefs out there, and and, and this area is just a, a massive mega for um, you know mega sort of area for sailors to come here as well. With the 74 islands and the Whitsundays, um, we've just finished two. Um, Sailing weeks is the um, Hamilton Island Sailing Week and also the Early Beach Sailing Week, um, and you know, hundreds of boats come up here for those events. And um, yeah, it's it's just really a spectacular part of the Queensland coast. Um, yeah, yeah I, I came here some years ago, and and um, and I'm I just as most people do, we come here for for a visit and, and end up living here. So. <laughs> Sounds like a good place if that happens. Can you yep. uh, can you just swim into to shore again for me? And and yep. what would happen if if you just did, hypothetically if you were to jump onto a coal wagon and, and take a hitch a ride up a, an imaginary coal line, which is which is going up towards an imaginary coal mine um, yep. called called Carmichael? What would you see on that journey? Okay, so um, <clears throat> you'd be heading up through dry tropical areas. Um, now, which have been, I guess, uh, quite a bit of grazing country and so on. But um, but they, these have been, um, you know, the rivers certainly have been a lifeblood here for um, for you know the traditional owners of this of this country for thousands and thousands of years. And um, and there's a lot of storylines that come through here. Um, a lot of the um, you know, it's migratory routes for a lot of the western um, you know um, uh, Aboriginal people that would have been coming down here to the coast to trade with them. Um, some of the coastal groups, so it's a, it's really a, a zone of interaction, I guess, between between the you know the coastal Nauru people and the and the inland um, you know Birigaba and then further west and um, yeah, so for thousands of years um, this area would have been you know quite heavily occupied, I guess, and so there's a lot of sacred sites and a lot of a lot of um, you know traditional um, you know, areas of, of significance for traditional owners. Um, so you'd see that out of the coal wagon um, uh, on your way west. Um, you'd be crossing some, you know, um, 
uh, rivers that are, are dry this time of the year, but in the wet season we get uh, very heavy rains, um, and so they big floodplain areas and and um, and so on. You know, um, water is really the lifeblood, I, go, I guess, of this country um, because it is dry tropics. So, um, so unlike the wet tropics of Cairns, where it rains, you know, uh, further north, Tully and and those areas where it rains every other day, um, we've had rain back when uh, that extreme weather event cyclone Debbie passed through here, and since then we've had pretty much no rain. So, um, so it does go through those real kind of you know dry and wet area, wet times. Um, and so most of the farms out there uh, rely on groundwater and and, um, and their surface water um, entitlements to um, to survive. Uh, without that water, um, life is very hard. And, and I guess for Aboriginal people, had that law and the knowledge of how to find the water for their own you know sustenance, but um, but we don't. Um, you know that's kind of all um, forgotten. And I guess also the, the population and the and the activities that we're taking require a lot more water. Than, um, than what they would have used back then. So everyone likes to have their, their five or ten minute shower, whereas um, you know, it's, you know, those sorts of things obviously use a lot more water. So, um, so right now in Townsville, which is just north of us, um, you know, they're on water restrictions. The dams, you know, um, you know, they're they're looking at um, you know pretty significant restrictions again this year. So, um, so yeah, water is definitely a big um, a big factor. Um, Heading further west, you get into um, into you know I guess the source of the Great Artesian Basin and 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 that um, massive um, you know water resource that, that goes underground and and covers most of Western Queensland and and without that, I think um, life in Western Queensland wouldn't be possible either really. Um, so so there's a lot of you know there's a, I guess there's a lot of um, Dependence on on um, on good reliable water. Um, the vegetation is um, sort of open grasslands. I'm, I'm sitting here now, looking out at open grasslands and and eucalypts and and a whole variety of different species of trees. Um, most of which are native. Um, there is all of the mango orchards across the other side of the paddock there, which um, you know they'll be fruiting come you know November December and and um, and you know that's a big economic boost for this area as well as the, the tree crops. So um, so they don't go too far west. But, um, yeah, so I guess that kind of gives you a bit of a picture of of, um, of the country. Yeah, that's great. That's a really nice picture you've painted there. Um, so I guess um, you've focused on water quite a lot. And, and how important is the water, especially once you get out west there? Is, has it still got the massive rainfall that you do on the coast? Yeah, no. It's um. There's some areas there that uh, when you when you get into the inland areas, there's there's areas where um, you may not get rainfall for several years, um, and and you're really relying on a storage of water that that gets topped up um, either further up in the catchment, um, or or um, is a groundwater re- reservoir that um, that again gets topped up every you know, every few years, um, and then you know you you can extract that water and and use it. Um, so yeah, that, that's really why I was introducing that because it is—it's really a critical, um, a critical factor for any farmer out west. That without the, without the water, they can't, um, you know, they can't graze their cattle. Cattle need a lot of water to, to survive. Um, there's no vegetation in some of those areas in the drought year, drought years. You you almost have no grass left and no, um, you know, no greenery at all. Uh, currently up in Townsville, uh, it gets the nickname of Brownsville. 
um, <laughs> and, and that's a city right on the coast. So, um, so inland, it's, it's obviously um, a much more tropical sun. It's very hot and intense, um, especially later in the year when we get into October and November especially. Um, it's, you know, only mad dogs and Englishmen will be out there. So, um, so yeah, it's, it gets pretty intense in the sun and, and, um, and water is really a, an essential um, you know, an essential thing. So, so even just for people to live, um, you know, their, their domestic water supplies um, you know, are really critical. Yeah, right. So um, what, what's, what have they got planned and where? Okay, so um, basically um, what, what's brought all of these people here today or to, for this week and, and hopefully right through um, through the year is um, is that Adani is proposing a um, an expansion of their coal port. It'll make it the biggest. That's at Abbott Point, just north of Bowen, uh, south of Townsville. It'll make it um, one of the biggest coal ports in in um, the southern hemisphere. Um, uh, sort of, you know, equivalent to Hay Point, which is just south of Mackay. Again, only another hour south. So we're we're going to have two of the of the biggest coal ports in um, in the southern hemisphere. Uh, within a couple of hundred kilometres of each other on the Queensland coast, um, and then they're they're building a rail line, um, you know, obviously to bring the coal in from this new coal mine that they're wanting to build um, right through all of those traditional lands and up through the river valleys, um, cutting right across all of the all of the farmlands, um, you know, and and straight through um, you know many sacred sites and and you know uh, the trains can't go. Up in the hills, you know, it's it's not practical for them to wind their way around, um, you know, the hills and up on the side. So they so they really go on the arable land, the grazing land, and the farming lands that are down on the river flats, um, which is obviously also where the Aboriginal people would have been living um, for thousands of years. So that's where most of their sites will be as well, um, <clears throat> and it, it'll wind its way up through the, the valley here, um, all the way up into the the top of the catchment, which is many hundreds of kilometres west of us here, to um, to um, what is pretty much a pristine wilderness area. Obviously, there's grazing, but, um, but there's no other industrialisation and hardly any roads. Um, and um, uh, to a massive uh, coal pit, which will be, um, you know, one of the biggest coal pits in the world, um, certainly um, far exceeding anything else in Australia and, um, and almost, um, the sa- you know, almost the size of some of the of the mega mines um, that China has north of them, so so um, really turning what is a pristine area um, with you know high ecological and cultural significance into into an industrial area, um, you know with uh, with um, you know tens of thousands of tons of coal coming down the train line um, and to ships we we need I think we need you know an additional you know uh, four or five hundred ships a day. Oh, not a day, sorry, a, a year. So, so that's an extra couple of ships a day um, travelling through the, the Great Barrier Reef um, to um, to load up with coal and and, um, and take it to India. Yeah, well, so, a couple, um, of, couple of little boats aren't going to do much damage, are they? <laughs> well, exactly, a couple of little, <laughs> couple of little boats. Um, yeah, they're you know these things are massive. Um, but, you know, if you've never seen a coal ship. Um, um, yeah, get yourself to Newcastle or somewhere like that. Um, it's not too far for you to go. They, they are just huge. You think ocean liners are big, um, you know, with all those people on it. They look like skyscrapers on water. Um, these things are just massive. Um, and obviously they're not carrying something benign as a whole bunch of people. They're, they're, um, they're carrying um, 
you know, coal, coal dust, um, the whole loading process, um, you know, toxicity in the water is just, um, just huge. And, um, and yeah, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. We've been so fortunate so far that none of the coal ships that have been coming through the reef have done any, you know, really major disasters. Um, but we're going to be, um, you know, doubling the, the number of ships coming through. So, so um, you know, like any road, it's, it's, uh, it's got more traffic and, and the risks, um, um, you know, would be going up exponentially. Um, so, yeah, you know, the Great what, Barrier Reef what's isn't the open ocean. It's, it's got its own laneways that, um, that ships have to fit through. And, um, yeah, the risks are just huge. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was going to ask, is this like a highway or a bit of a goat track? Yeah, no, it's, um, well... It's really like a goat track winding its way through uh, landmines. You know, every every little reef that's out there, um, you know, is a, is a potential disaster. We're just waiting to happen. It, ships and reefs just don't, don't connect very well. It's it's um yeah, and and when you've got a, a ship that's just full of a toxic um you know um a coal payload, um yeah, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Really, mm. so um so yeah. What they don't pull up very quickly, and and uh, and when they hit the reef, they'll yeah, the, the clean up would just be they'll hit it properly, won't they? What would happen, say, if, if a, a shipload of coal wound up in the water? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, Is it soluble in the I, water? Do you reckon it would dissolve or? No, no. The the re- issue with it is that I guess that it doesn't. It's um. And unlike an oil slick, um, you know, some of it's going to sink, some of it's going to float. Um, there's, it's, a lot of it's um, in a powder form. It's already been um, pulverised into a powder, uh, so it's a dust. Um, um, yeah, no, the, the amount of even just along the rail lines, um, you know, we were at an action um, just a couple of days ago where a couple of people chained themselves to the rail line and, and um, you could see the police when they were trying to, um, you know, deal with that situation and even the people who, who were there um, just touching the, the ballast, you know, those rocks that they have around rail lines, um, and their hands were just getting covered with this black um, black carcinogenic dust. Um, and so, that, I mean, that stuff's travelling all, all along the rail line down to the port and then getting loaded into these ships um, and then taken out through World Heritage, you know, um, Great Barrier Reef, but, you know, the gem, of, the gem of Australia that we're all supposed to be, um, you know, protecting for the world um, benefit. And, um, yeah, no, it's... It's quite a phenomenal um, mindset to think that that's all okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned coal dust. So I know that sort of wood dust and, and smoke dust, I guess you could call it, is is no good for your lungs. And what about coal dust? Um, well, I think it's uh, pretty well documented now. And you guys, I, I believe, that, um, you know, down at Canberra, there's been quite a few discussions, Senate inquiries, and so in, into um, black lung disease. Um, you know. Well, this is the coal miners that are in the coal mine, um, you know, uh, having to breathe this stuff in. Well, once it gets liberated from the coal mine, it's out in the coal wagons, you know, blowing off the tops of those all along the coal lines the whole way down, um, the railway lines all the way down to the port. And then, um, you know, it's it's just everywhere. It's, it really is everywhere. Um, it, and, and, yeah, as you say, it's, I, I, I would have to say it's probably worse than, than wood wood ash and wood soot, um, you know, uh, this stuff has many other, uh, especially the, the coal that's coming out of this mine because it's, it's not even what you call clean coal. It's, the carbon content's lower and so it has a lot more impurities in it. Um, I don't know the, the, um, 
the chemical composition of, of those impurities. But um, but I do know for a fact that it's carcinogenic and there's a lot of health issues with um, with black lung disease in, in um, well, all over, all over Australia and I guess all over the world. Yeah, all right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who's it going to affect up there um, once it all gets going? Yep. So I guess there's going to be the winners and the losers. There'll be a few construction contractors that are going to get some, um, you know, short-term um, contracts, uh, make a bit of money, um, you know, uh, with the construction of, of some things, although I think quite a few of the construction contracts are going to foreign companies or at least, um, you know, I guess that's all a bit hush-hush and who knows what's happening kind of thing. Um, there are quite a few locals, uh, certainly in Bowen, that are hoping that they're going to get some employment out of it. Um, being realistic, I guess, um, those contractors, whether they're, whether they're Australian or whether they're foreign, are probably going to bring their own workers in um, and certainly fly and fly out provisions um, have been pushed through um, for this mine and for the construction of it. So um, they're even talking about bringing, um, you know, foreign workers over to do the construction, um, you know, I guess so that they can minimise their labour costs. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns, I guess. There's some deals that are being made that we don't really know about. Um, so there will be some people, I think, that may get some benefit from it. Um, the Bowen locals here are, are betting on or gambling on a... Uh, a uh, property boom, um, you know, where there's going to be some demand for the dongers and and those sorts of accommodations for fly and fly out workers, and so they'll make a short term gain when their um, property prices go up a little bit. Um, so, um, but I guess like Gladstone, there's a whole story there. If you want to talk to any of the locals down at Gladstone that had that same hope with the um, with that uh, CSG, the coal seam gas um, refinery that's gone in there. Um, there's a, a lot of fairly dissatisfied um, workers there because it's a bubble, basically. You, you make a um, you make a bubble in the real estate market. The prices go up for a little while, while there's high demand and low supply. Um, some people make a good buck, and then then um, you know you know the prices just crash. You know, demand's not there, and and who wants to live in Bowen once it's uh, once it's uh, you know been stuffed and and that's got a, a you know one of the world's biggest uh, coal ports just north of it. So um, so, um, and the same happened with Gladstone, you know, like some people made some short-term gains, but, um, but for the average person, um, you know, your price will go up and then your price will crash um, and you'll end up um, basically living where you were before, only next door to a, um, a coal seam gas uh, refinery as it was in, uh, in Gladstone uh, with all of your water polluted and, um, and all of your fishing grounds and all of your recreational activities um, that you loved to do um, being impacted. So... Um, so I guess that's where it goes to is that um, locally there's that those those direct impacts that, um, that the Bowen residents and the and the people around this area are going to experience. But um, on a broader level, um, you know the reef and the impact to the reef of climate change. Um, you know, um, you know that, that's that's one of the highest uh, risks and the highest impacts on the Great Barrier Reef at the moment. So this is the Great Barrier Reef that the World Heritage um, Committee have threatened to put in danger. And it's only through some smooth talking of our federal um, lobbyists that they managed to avoid that so far. Um, but you know, they made promises that they were going to, you know, take steps to improve the condition of the reef. And if anything, um, you know, approving this mine and funding it a billion dollars is is going the opposite direction. So, um, 
So it's likely that um, that it will be declared endangered, I guess, at some point in time soon. And um, and then who's going to want to come from um, you know overseas to to a uh, the not so great Barrier Reef? Um, you know, when it used to be the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so I, th- I think competition's going to start to come up with uh, you know people preferring to have a holiday in Bali or or um, Thailand where they can see reefs that um, that are actually being looked after. You know, surprisingly, you can go to Indonesia and and see a reef that's um, that's better protected than a reef in um, than the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Um, you know, so um, yeah, it, it's starting to get to that point, I guess, where the impact on the tourism industry is um, is going to be felt. Um, it, it is it is already, but it's, I think that's just going to keep increasing, and um, and that's going to put uh, you know a lot of pressure on these local communities. Um, you know, everywhere from you know, Townsville itself, you know, gets a major portion of its um, of its um, industry there is tourism. Um, you know, Early Beach, the Whitsundays, um, Early Beach wouldn't exist without tourists. Um, you know, really like so that whole area, all the employees, all the school school teachers, the shopkeepers, the you know the plumbers, the carpenters, um, you know everyone everyone there really relies on the tour, tourism industry. Um, you know, so so you're really talking about massive impacts for communities up and down the Queensland coast, all the way from Fraser Island to to Cairns and north of Cairns. Um, so yeah. Yeah, right. So I've heard in the media a number of times that there's going to be about ten thousand jobs created by the mine. Oh. <laughs> um, so I'll give you, I'll enlighten you on how they come up with that figure. Okay, this is it's a really amazing thing. Um, so let's say you create a project that creates um, that employs two people, um, and then you come up with a factor that says, well, those two people are going to have some kids, and they need to send those kids to school, so we're going to employ another teacher. And then those kids are also going to need to go to, um, you know, the super or your family's going to need to go to the supermarket to buy some um, some groceries. So we're going to employ another two two people in the in the supermarket. Um, and then we're going to um, also have some taxi drivers that need to take them home. So we employ another person there, and and so you keep factoring it up until um, you say, well, we think with you know this these two people that we employed that we actually really employed, you know, twenty people. Um, and, and that's basically the kind of factors that I've used to come up with that figure. Um, the issue being that if you use those factors, say, for the tourism industry that actually directly employs 69,000 people, um, then there'd be a negative employment in Queensland already. So if all the other industries in Queensland use that same, the same factoring, um, then there wouldn't be an employment issue um, in, in Queensland. So, so the factors are clearly, you know, bollocks, really. So, um, so under oath, basically one of our um, organisations um, here, just a grassroots local um, organisation in Mackay, um, took Adani to court um, uh, over some of the justifications for their um, for their their project. Um, and under oath, they had to release the real figures. Okay, so so we still have politicians getting out. Our local politicians, our federal politicians, and and um, and Adani themselves, obviously, still banding around this ten thousand figure. When under oath, they had to release that it was actually only 1,467. So, I mean, there's a big difference between 1,467 and 10,000. So, you know, I guess that's where you take a figure which is a marketing figure um, and and they're presenting it as fact. It's it's just marketing. 
just their marketing, basically. Um, the real figure is that it's likely to be 1,467, probably less, because since that figure came out, they've um, continued pursuing the, their options for automation. You know, Australians just cost them too much. You know, this, this coal mine is marginally financially viable as it is. So if they've got to employ Australians at a normal Australian minimum wage, um, it's not viable. Um, so that... So they're really taking every step to automate as much as they can to minimise their labour costs, to have fly-in, fly-out, possibly foreign workers that aren't covered by minimum, minimum Australian standards and, and, and wages and so on. Um, you know, not even minimum standards of, of, um, of skill. You know, um, People coming in to be electricians that don't have Australian um, certifications as electricians. They, they have uh, foreign certifications, things like that. Um, you know, looking at um, health and safety standards not being up to scratch so that they can um, they can minimise their costs, um, and and that's just because you know it, it's just not a viable project. So ten thousand ten thousand jobs. I laugh every time. I still hear people saying that. And under oath, they had to release that that's not the figure. Um, so so the... I don't know at what point um, we can make people actually um, stick to the truth <laughs> you know, when they're when they're talking about this. How do you how do you make a politician? You know, retract the fact that 10,000 is not the figure um, and actually say what is the real figure that was ha- had to be released under oath. You know, they, can't, they can't be saying any more than 1,467. And I'm sure if we went through their, their um, analysis of their employment um, you know, strategy now, it would have to be less than that because how they, you know, they've been talking and being proud of the fact that they're going to automate as much as possible. Um, what's the point of automation unless it's to reduce your employment? Yeah, yeah it's the number true. of people you need to employ. So. so, why do you reckon people are so desperate for work in the region? Um, well, I mean, employment is an issue here um, to some extent. Okay, I'm not wanting to be critical of of the local um, Bowen people. Um, you know, I'm a local Ely Beach, um, and and it's the same situation there. It's actually the same situation through most of Australia, to be honest. Um, you know, we're lazy. You know, to be honest, we're lazy. There's, there, there are so many jobs up here that that um, that people can do. There's in this camp that we're in now. We're sharing it with. Um, um, there's there's actually a, um, a farm stay next to the paddock that we've hired, um, and and in that farm stay, there's uh, there's backpackers that are staying here. They drive out every day and they work for a long day, maybe a ten hour day, uh, picking um, picking tomatoes or it's capsicum at the moment. Um, you know, getting paid a paid a wage which is probably reasonable. Um, it's based on the amount that they pick, and maybe if they're really good, they might be able to make twenty bucks an hour in the hot sun. Um, you know, it's not an air conditioned cab, and it's not twenty five dollars an hour. Um, you know, Australians, a lot of the Australians I know, they they're not going to do work in the sun. They they want to sit in an air conditioned cab or an air conditioned office. Um, you know, and we want to get paid a good amount. Um, we want to get paid. You know, much more than is viable for for the um, for the tomato growers here. So there was a year when they changed that um, the um, uh, immigration laws, so that, because basically, if if those backpackers work here for three months, they can go for a second um, second year holiday visa. There's seven countries in Europe around the world that that um, you can come here for on a year visa, a working holiday visa, and if you work for three months in a regional um, rural uh, job like this, then you can extend that to a year. So it's kind of a incentive for the backpackers to do this kind of work. 
Um, and um, and one year they changed those laws, and and the tomato growers up here had to plough their crop back in. They couldn't pick it. They couldn't find they couldn't find any locals who would go and do the job to pick their crop. You know, so millions of dollars worth of crop gets ploughed back in because we can't find the labour here to do it. <clears throat> and it's just because you know, like I'll I'll I'll, I'll happily say you know I didn't go and pick those fruit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm lazy as well. You know, I, I would prefer an air-conditioned air um, you know, cab or an air-conditioned office, but it's our expectation now that that's going to happen. So, um, so there is employment here um, for for people who are unemployed, um, but I guess it's just not in conditions or, or you know, remuneration or whatever that they want. There's not really the understanding of the impacts that 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 um, job and that and that industry is having on our lifestyle. Like, and most of the farmers, oh, sorry, most of the miners like to come home on the weekend or on their days off, their um, their rostered days off, and and um, and go fishing. Um, you know, when when there's an understanding that there's a direct link between, um, you know, the job that they're doing, the industry they're working in, um, and the lifestyle that they that they're here for, um, I think attitudes will change. But unfortunately, it seems that. The, the marketing campaign of these companies and our and our um, our government to make these um, big industries go. Um, there's it's hard to hard to get that message across. You know, like yeah, it's hard to overestimate good marketing, isn't it? Can I just yeah. interrupt and we'll, we'll just change a bit because we're going to run out yep. of time. Um, yep. What what sort of coal is it? Okay, so um, basically in the Bowen Basin south of here, um, they're, they're digging out really good black coking coal, um, some of the best quality coal in the world. Um, the Carmichael mine and the whole of the whole of the Galilee Basin um, is a poor quality um, coal. It's, it's probably of a similar standard to um, the worst of the coal that's in India now, um, and that's the, the the standard of that coal is, is at a point that the Indian government itself is saying that they don't want. Um, any more new mines of that quality of coal, and they don't want to be bringing any any more of that coal. So the government of India itself is is saying they don't want it um, for whatever reason. Adani, um, I guess because he's friends with the prime minister over there, has been able to get some um, guarantees or or whatever that he's able to import the stuff into his country. But but it's it's not good quality coal. Um, it's going to cause you know massive amounts of pollution where it's burnt, um, which is in India. Um, you know, um, there's already a lot of people in India that are dying from um, from uh, the coal pollution that's over there now, um, and I guess this coal is just going to contribute more to that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so it, it's not coking coal for steel or anything. It's just being burnt for electricity. Yeah, just burnt for electricity. And and India is currently, um, you know. Uh, the, the Indian government is currently investing hugely in solar. Even Adani um, himself is um, is uh, is investing more in um, in solar. Um, you know, so I guess this coal—it's it's, just—it's it's a legacy. It's a legacy fuel that that um, you know. Yeah, I I just don't know how to explain why we we would still be using it. Um, <laughs> you know, already solar is cheaper. Um, you know, it's obviously cleaner. Um, people in poverty can can um, can um, you know have smaller non-centralised power supply. Um, you know, um, basically bunny hopping the errors of our energy system. Our energy system is uh, hugely inefficient with losses in our grid. 
a massive grid that was built because we were um, we built it around solar. Um, oh, sorry, around uh, thermal coal um, power plants, and then needed to transport that energy long distances to cities and stuff like that. Um, you know, these countries can can piggyback all of that and not be left with all of the infrastructure burden of a massive grid um, and have much smaller decentralised solar systems um, built much more cheaply um, and obviously causing no um, no air pollution at all um, locally and globally. So, um, so uh, there, there's that opportunity there um, for, for these countries not to make the mistakes that we've made with our energy. Um, and, yeah, I guess it would be... It would be pretty smart if we could actually encourage that rather than, um, you know, funding and encouraging, um, you know, uh, going down the same, doing basically making the same mistakes we've made. Yeah. So you mentioned Mr. Adani. Who, who's Mr. Adani? Uh, so Mr. Adani, he's a he's a Indian billionaire. Um, uh, I, I mean, they still call him an Indian billionaire, but I guess that's a bit debatable because my understanding is that financially. Um, he's fairly shaky, so um, so um, you know he may have a billion dollars worth of assets, but he probably has you know a billion and a half dollars worth of debt. Um, and and so um, he's he's been um, uh, developing a um, um, he, I guess he's wanting to do vertical um, a vertical monopoly on on um, energy in a certain area, so. He's built some coal-fired power stations in India and needs a supply of coal for that. So he's built a port in India, making massive damage to some, you know, 60,000 hectares of mangroves were destroyed um, in his dredging operation over there. Um, you know, fishermen are, are crying out to Australians. I think there's an ABC report on that that, um, that talks about, um, you know, this fisherman's really pleading for, with Australians to be careful um, in their dealings with Fadani because of how much his community has suffered over there. Um, you know, um, yeah, so basically he wants to set up um, a system where he owns a mine over here. He's uh, transporting it via rail to a port that he owns, um, shipping it over to his um, port over in India, uh, transporting that to his coal mine, his uh, coal um, power stations over there and generating power and selling it um, and um, and so that's his that's his plan, I guess. Um, and somehow he's he's been able to convince our government that that's a good idea. Um, you know, I guess his marketing uh, of ten thousand jobs still seems to be holding true for them, even though the real figures, uh, you know, one thousand four hundred and sixty-seven <laughs> um, as of the court case when that was um, pulled out, and probably less now. Um, and um, yeah, so our government's looking to invest a billion dollars. In in um in a man that uh, uses the Cayman Islands and Panama as offshore tax havens sorry, to avoid hang on, tax. Hang on, Paul. Sorry, what, what did jumping you, ahead. What did you just say there? Did you just um, say a billion dollars? Yeah. So our government our government is looking at uh, at uh, they call it a loan, um, but but as has been um, I guess interpreted from his uh, business dealings, it's highly unlikely our government would ever get any of that back. A um, billion dollars. Of uh, public money um, to make this whole thing happen. Um, the only way that um, it's going to get any um, approvals or get anywhere with um, any of the financial institutions is, is if he can increase his equity, um, his initial investment in it, um, and he doesn't have the money. He's not willing to um, you know, personally find that money. Um, so he's lobbied our government 
um, and has got them seriously thinking about giving him a billion dollars um, to get the project off the ground. Yeah, right, and that's for the rail line that goes all the way 350 k's from the coast to the mine. I believe that's what it's for, yeah, but but as as we've seen with these other accounting practices, it's done, you know, who knows where the money will actually go. Um, you know, um, he's been shown to use, as I was uh, just alluding to before, he's been shown to use the Cayman Islands and Panama as tax havens to avoid paying tax or any of that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and are there... Uh, are... It's just, Yep. Yeah, will will the uh, will this rail line, if it's built, will that mean that there's any more mines likely to go in out that way? I guess that's really a concern. Is that is that um, this is this is the thin edge of the of the wedge for the Galilee um, Basin. It's a huge area of poor quality coal. Um, Gina Reinhardt owns some um, some massive um, um, you know um, leases there, mining leases out there to to exploit. Um, I think it's called the China One, um, and the, and you know there's there's other areas there that uh, that are wanting to um, get off the ground too, but none of them are economically viable just because of you know the quality of the coal, um, the distances involved, the cost of Australian labour as compared with cheap foreign labour if they can make that happen instead, um, you know all of those sorts of things. So so getting that rail line out there is probably a critical step for the whole of the Galilee to open up. Um, now if that happened. Um, the, the proposed coal mines, this isn't any that are not proposed yet, that's not the ones that could be speculated in the future or whatever, just the proposed ones, if they got off the ground, um, we would Australia's emissions would double. Okay, so all of the rest of the coal-fired power stations, all of the rest of our emissions, um, the coal that would come out of the Galilee would cause a double doubling of our emissions. Uh, and this is at a time when we're still negotiating and signing up to try and reduce our, um, our national emissions, and we're looking at opening up a, um, an area, a coal basin, um, that would double our emissions. Um, yeah, so, so I, when, yeah. When, when this mine and all its, all its mates out there are finished, who pays to look after all the damage that's been done and the reparations? Well, you better start reaching into your pocket because I'm pretty sure they won't be. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think there's been an example in Australia that I could draw on that shows that a coal or a, or a mining company has cleaned up their own mess. Um, you know, we even have, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether there's an example anywhere where a, a mining company has act, in Australia has actually been forced to and has actually, with their own money, um, cleaned up um, the mess that they've made to the standard that they... That they should. So, um, so yeah, I guess, I guess the bottom line is it either won't get cleaned up, um, or it will be you and I that, that pay for the clean up. And that's that's just of the site. I mean, that's not even considering the the um, you know the more far-reaching impacts of, of burning that coal and climate change and all of that other stuff. The impact of the reef. You know, already we're paying for that through. Um, you know the government funding, um, you know programs of investigation and restoration on the on the on the reef. I don't see, um, you know, Adani stepping forward and saying, "Hey, look, yeah, sure, you guys can lend me a billion dollars, but I'll give you two billion back to to fix the reef when I fucked it." You know, sorry, excuse the language. When I've when, when it's when it's damaged, um, yeah. So so I think, um, you know, I think the bottom line is that it's going to be you and I. 
Yeah, right. So what you're basically telling me is that that our government is going to spend a billion dollars of our our taxes to enable a, a guy from who knows where to make a mint if he can by ruining the water in the Great Artesian Basin and putting the Great Barrier Reef at risk in order so that when he goes away, we've got a really good chance of being able to spend an awful lot more money dealing with the consequences for perpetuity. I think that pretty much sums it up. And well, what could so, go wrong? Um, <laughs> what could go wrong with that? Yeah. Um, that pretty much sums it up. And, and so obviously obviously, what we're missing in all of this is that they, um, that they clearly have really good lobbyists and a really good marketing team. Um, if I tried to sell that to anyone else... Um, I, it just would not be possible to, surely. Like, I, I, No, yeah. it's true. Look, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. They've obviously got very good marketing going on. What can we do about it? Um, okay, so I guess right now... <laughs> if you yeah, think this is a bad deal, what can you do? Yeah, if you think it's a bad deal, um, it's, it's right now is the time. Like, uh, we need to go beyond, um, you know, click, clicking petitions and, and signing them and, and, um, and so on. We, we need to actually be taking action. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, locally here we started a group called With Sunday Residents Against Dumping and that was uh, directly, um, you know, looking at the, the Abbott Point uh, coal terminal. Um, uh, we went through every channel we could. We've lobbied, we've, we've, um, we've done everything. We, 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 a businessman from Businesses United for Reef Protection and other local organisation actually went to Europe and spoke to um, shareholders at uh, French and German banks um, two different banks to um, about the impacts it was going to have on his business. He's a tour- he was a tourism operator here, um, and convinced them not to invest in this project because of the, the social impacts it was going to have. Um, you know, we've done everything that we can. We've spoken to our local members, even though um, you know that itself and replied with abuse. Um, you know, we've tried to do everything that we possibly can to to um, to inform the government of of what this, the impacts are going to be. Um, now they're announcing they're going to start building it next month, um, and it's really come to a head to the point that um, I'm just an average everyday person, um, you know, uh, lives here in the Sundays, and this week I've got involved with uh, non-violent direct action. Okay, so so we've 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 had to really take this to another level, um, you know, where we're willing to you know go down the Gandhi path and and take civil disobedience. Um, to draw attention to this project and, and really make sure that the government doesn't give them that billion dollars, that they take back the unlimited water licence that the Queensland government has given to this mine. Even though everyone else has to pay for their water, the Queensland government's given them an unlimited water licence, um, which will impact all the other water users. Um, you know, the government needs to not be giving these subsidies to a billionaire, a foreign billionaire, um, to create what turns out to be a fairly bad investment as far as jobs go. Um, you know, there's been two solar projects that have got, got off the ground just within about 100 k's of where I'm sitting at the moment, um, and they've employed 21 times more people per dollar than the um, mine will. Um, you know, it's a bad investment for jobs. It's, a bad, it's, it's just all up. It's just, so we're taking direct action. Okay, so a few days ago, as I, as I was alluding to... Um, a couple of people have chained themselves to train lines. We've, uh, we've blocked the access road um, two days uh, in a row or, t- you know, two days apart. Um, today there's another action that's, uh, that's taking place. Um, a lot of locals have been involved. I think we've got now maybe 
maybe there's been 15 people arrested. Um, uh, today there'll be a few more that get arrested, I'm sure, um, with the action that's going to take place. Um, I won't give any details because I think it's still um, it's still a, it's still in progress. So that'll be hitting the the headlines probably tonight. Um, and uh, and yeah, so this week of action's been been going. It's it's been a great thing. It's uh, it's been a coming together of both locals and um, and other um, people from down south. We've actually had quite a few people from Canberra that have come up. Um, maybe even people that you know. Um, and other people that uh, that your listeners may know um, have come up here to um, to support us locally, um, and this is a call out to, to the whole nation. We really need everyone um, that's able to to come up here and um, and spend some time to uh, to save the reef. Um, yeah, you know, clicking petitions isn't going to cut it anymore, so um, so we need to actually stop this thing. So um, you don't need to get arrested. Um, <laughs> there's opportunities to be involved without um, without being involved in any arrest. Yeah. Um, Yep. Now the the last really big campaign I can remember in Australia was the the Jabaluka the Stop Jabaluka campaign and they worked in really well with the local Aboriginal mob the Mira and the Gunjaitmi Corporation up there. Uh, is there any plans to do that? Because obviously this is going to be something of concern nationally, and there's going to be an awful lot of people there coming up there at some point. Well, hopefully, yeah, look, hopefully for a long time way. if need be. Go on. Yep. Uh, yeah, every step of the way we've been uh, working with the local uh, traditional owners here. Um, one of the issues we've got is that um, the project is so huge and impacts on so many different um, people that, um, that there's many different Indigenous groups um, that are across all of the country. So, um, so right here in this camp we've had um, traditional owners from the land that, that I'm sitting on at the moment, um, also from the land that Abbott Point is on, um, and also from the land just west of there. So... Um, um, we haven't had um, uh, representatives from some of the land that's further west. I guess that you know, like um, there's large distances to travel and so on. But but we have been in close communication with as, as many of those people as we can. Um, Auntie Carol here is, is um, fully supportive of all that we're doing here. Um, uh, she hasn't uh, put herself into an arrestable position yet, um, but I'm fairly sure that she's pretty keen at some stage to take that step when when uh, you know when it's really needed. Um, you know, Auntie Carol's, uh, you know, um, not a young lady, um, and and uh, you know she's really willing to put her body on her on the line. I think in the future to um, to really hold the line and and to um, and to stop this thing from going ahead. Um, you know, uh, Kenny, uh, Uncle Kenny, is uh, he's been down in Canberra recently. In fact, um, he's only just returned from Brisbane with uh, negotiations with Rio Tinto on other on other issues. Um, you know, I, I think. You know, I, I speak to his um, wife occasionally, and and um, and 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 kids, and, and they're hardly seeing him anymore. He's just so occupied with trying to protect his own country um, that that um, it's almost yeah, it's really a full time job for him now. Um, you know, and it has you know, you know the whole the whole protest is is um, is you know drawing that kind of energy from from the. Um, from the um, you know, traditional owners of this area, so yeah, certainly every step of the way we're working with them, um, and and we're you know we've really come together as one. Um, you know, Auntie Carol says it much better than I do, um, but but she's just um, you know yeah just so happy to to have us all together as one. You know, working for that common goal of of um, protecting country. Yeah. You know, nice. um, 
So if people have got holidays coming up or if, you know, a little bit of time off up their sleeve, should they be considering this? I mean, is it all right now or is this going to be going on for a bit? Uh, it's um, OK, so the week of action nationally finishes tomorrow. Um, we've got, we're doing a few community engagement things as well. There'll be a bit of a rubbish clean-up on the beaches and on the highway today, um, you know, with our, our busload of, um, of activists um, having a bit of a wind-down from the activity they're taking today. Um, you know, doing a bit of a clean-up to, to give back to the community as well. Um, and, um, and then most of, most of the core group will be leaving, you know, most of, or most of the mob will be leaving. Um, but, but there's a lot of locals that are still here. Many of them were arrested, so, they, so, um, so we do need some more people to come and, and um, play those sorts of roles. Um, but there's also, um, you know, we're, we're actually looking at, I guess this is a good time to call out for that as well, we're... We're, we've rented this um, this paddock, and that's really what's pulled it back to just being a week of action. Um, I know for a fact that there's a few um, parents that are looking at getting together and creating an action in the coming weeks. Um, I won't give too many details of that away either, um, but it will be an ongoing thing. Um, uh, what is going to be a really a critical step for that um, to, um, I guess, evolve into a blockade so that we can really stop this thing in the tracks is to um, is to secure some uh, a permanent site. Um, so, um, with the people who have attended now, and um, and obviously all of your listeners, we're looking for investors um, to, who are willing to uh, invest in in um, securing a, a permanent site. Um, we're looking at probably about we need to raise about four hundred thousand dollars, which which could be as donations and or if people need as a loan, because um, there'll obviously be an opportunity at the end of the action to sell that property and and return some of the money back to. Um, to some of the people who, who um, can only afford it as a loan. Um, so, so I guess um, if there's any of your listeners that, that are in a position of, of having some equity that, that they'd be willing to, um, to put up to, to make this thing really um, fire, then, then there's that opportunity as well. But certainly more people coming. Um, you know, we'll be able to accommodate small numbers until we get that permanent site. Um, and um, if necessary, I'm happy for people to come and camp on my... Um, on my um, place which is about 40 minutes south of here um, and even borrow my car if they need to to um, to travel up to um, to actions and stuff because I've, I've got my own full-time job that I need to get back to um, um, but yeah certainly you know for for people that uh, that are in a state where they you know they don't have a car and they don't have the, the you know the the finances to be able to to rent out, uh, you know, accommodation and so on. Then, um, then us locals here are certainly willing to uh, put in and and, uh, and accommodate them and help as much as possible. So, um, so, um, but there are some beautiful places to stay as well, um, and uh, and it is a great uh, a great place to come for a vacation, uh, turn it into an activation, um, and and, and yeah, both. really, yeah, yep. All right. Uh, how do people get in touch if they do want to do that? Um, I would say probably I was trying to work that out on the best way that um, people could communicate, and it may be best. We've had a media email address um, for media contact, um, which is kind of the only one that I've had to give out. So I'll give that one, um, and I'll just talk to the people who have been manning that this week and make sure that we keep that active um, after this so that people can um, get in touch properly. Um, and it's um, I'll just read it out. It's... Uh, I don't know if the capitalisation matters, but I'll give it as the way that it is capitalised. Um, it's a front line with a capital F, um, and then it has a capital W, a lowercase o, and a capital A, which is week of action. 
um, just the and that's at protonmail.com. Um, and the other option is to look up the... Um, basically, this has been organised by local community and just community members. Um, so it's, it's, it's just been a community, um, like an organic community thing that's developed. Um, but if people are wanting to um, contact um, through... I guess probably the best would be through two... Um, Two organisations associated with this, which is uh, Reef Defenders, is a is the local North Queensland um, grassroots group that um, that um, you know I guess really initiated uh, non-violent direct action here, um, and they're at reefdefenders.net, and there'll probably be a um, email address and contact um, uh, opportunities there, and then there's frontlineaction.org, which is uh, frontline action on coal, um, and that started um, down at the um, the lead, no yep. All right. Well, we've got to cut it there. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul Jukes. Good on you for joining us and uh, explaining so well about what's going on up there. Yeah, thanks, Scotty. And, um, yeah, I hope your listeners are able to uh, get the opportunity to come up here and visit this uh, fantastic reef and the fantastic area up here and um, take some action. No worries. Paul Jukes, thank you very much. Thanks, Scotty. See you, mate. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks.